0: You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
1: The APN is currently looking for network sponsors. Hear your company right here at the beginning of the show in over 60 episodes a month on 18 different shows and reach 70,000 subscribers. Contact the APN via Chris at ArchaeologyPodcastNetwork.com. That's Chris at Network.com to sponsor the only Archaeology Education and Outreach Podcast Network. <laughs>
0: welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast. Today we're going to talk about the executive order reviewing national monuments, provide a very brief history of the Antiquities Act, and talk about who stands to gain and who stands to lose if national monuments like Bears Ears are reduced in size. What happens to these places? What will happen to vulnerable cultural resources? While we're discussing this, if you have any comments or want to join the conversation, please email us at womeninarchaeology at gmail.com. I'm Emily Long, and I'm here with Kirsten Lopez and Sarah Head. Ladies, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Well, to get the, the ball rolling... Let's talk a little bit about the Antiquities Act, because we need a little bit of background on where this executive order is coming from, and it's all stemming from the Antiquities Act. So who would like to jump in on that?
2: So let's do, I mean, we should do a little history about what the Antiquities Act is exactly. I agree. Um, uh, Anyway, the Antiquities Act was put on, was put into law under Teddy Roosevelt, and he was actually the first president to use it. And I, I think it was put in specifically because of him and his, his desire to protect large parts of the United States and keep them natural and pristine. And, and so it was a it was a way of creating natural parks that were national and not just controlled by the, the states. Mm-hmm. This provided a lot of good things for the states because it, it was actually wanted The states had a lot of public land. They couldn't afford to keep it up. They needed government assistance, and so they created this law that allowed them to petition for it. But it also gives the president pretty sweeping power to just kind of assign national monument status to areas of land. And it's not really ever been an issue until, like, I want to say since Clinton and on, Mm -hmm. uh, the first Clinton. Because around that time, some of the national monuments that were being created started to be political in nature, but not, I mean, I guess it depends on what side of the political fence you're on as to if it is a bad use or a good use. Because things like, yeah, things like Stonewall started becoming national monuments um, Mm -hmm. and, and other monuments were being made. Towards specific groups, usually underrepresented groups, and that started to irk people off. Uh, you could make the argument that most of these monuments were. I mean, it is specifically written into the law that the protecting of Native American Native American sites is a priority of the National or of the Antiquities Act. So you could say that that was always part of the Act. and Now it's just kind of being expanded outwards, and its logical conclusion where it's starting to protect the history of groups that would otherwise be marginalized and forgotten.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And going to what you're saying about how it's being used as a political tool, or depending which side of the spectrum you're on, I mean, you're closing off these areas that could otherwise supposedly be open to um, oil and gas, uh, grazing, logging, et cetera. And that's one of the
2: things, though. It doesn't actually close the land off. Exactly. <laughs> what it does do is it brings the area, brings the land under a federal umbrella so that the land can, the land or the site, because it's not necessarily land anymore. The land or the area can be given government funds for, um, for maintenance, for upkeep, for protection, depending on what it needs. It, it now has uh, government assigned drones to keep it up. It doesn't prevent people from using it as public land, so it, it doesn't cut the pro- it doesn't cut the land off from the public. It does restrict the mining of certain properties for natural resources It's not mm-hmm. that you can't mine there it's just it's really difficult to get a permit and you have to prove that what you're going to do isn't going to damage the area and yada yada yada. And I mean, and there are certain areas, especially up in Alaska, and that kind of stuff that were set aside specifically to preserve the natural resources underneath the the soil. Um, But the law itself doesn't inherently prevent anything from happening. That is one of the myths of the Antiquities Act that
0: are out there. Um, It just slows down the process, in a way. It slows
2: down the process. It does provide protection. It just makes it more difficult but it doesn't make it impossible. And it in no way really cuts the land off from the people. Like you can still graze animals on land that has been set aside as a national monument. It's encouraged because the grazing of animals actually helps keep the grass down and, and is part of the maintenance process. It's usually written into the maintenance proposals for these properties. Um, obviously you're not going to graze cattle the stonewall, but
0: you know. Mm-hmm. And I think each- it yeah. like, largely depends to, who is governing or which agency is governing the national monument. If it's the national park service that is maintaining the national monument, yes, you're going to have far fewer rights to do things on the landscape, seeing as it's a much more uh, heavily restricted agency. But if it's the forest service or Bureau of land management, there are opportunities to have uh, grazing permits, mining permits. It's just like, Sarah said, a much more restricted process.
2: Right. And those restrictions aren't those restrictions are not put in place because of the Antiquities Act. Those restrictions are put in place because of because of the governing body, mm-hmm. which most of those have a state level mirror. And so you probably had those restrictions on those on that property before the federal government declared it part of theirs. So." What I'm saying is, is when these land properties change hands, nothing is actually changing except for the letters that go in front of whoever owns the place.
3: (laughs) Well, there's, there is some difference depending on, as you guys mentioned, who manages it beforehand. So with some states, one that I know, well, I don't know Utah's uh, state regulations very well, but for example, Uh, Idaho is very loose when it comes to protections for archaeological sites, for water, (laughs) or really any of the natural resources. Um, so for the Idaho state managed lands, which I don't know if there's a whole lot, it's very different from once federal regulations actually, uh, become, you know, part of the management. Same with Oregon. Oddly, Oregon has, so Oregon state lands have a 75 year rule for archaeological sites instead of a 50 year rule, Um, is one more obvious um, or more tangible example of how the management changed going from state to federal. One of the biggest differences. Uh, that you would see when changing hands and management are going to be the regulations as you guys mentioned before so say in I know that the state of Idaho has very loose regulatory systems Um, they really that I've seen don't have even a lot of like city planning regulations everything's kind of hodgepodgey built in various places love the state don't want anyone to feel like I'm bashing Idaho or anything (laughs) it's it's different from whereas Oregon where i've lived most of my life is one of the it's considered very um sort of on the front lines of land management and city urban design stuff so it's it's very different because everything is very highly planned in Oregon whereas in Idaho it's very not um so one of the contrasts that you'll see in, say, Oregon, for example, is there's a 50-year law for federal lands for archaeological sites. They and be 50 this, years old? Yep. Yeah, they have to be 50 years old um, to be considered an archaeological site. So this is where we're starting to get to the point where stuff in the 60s is mm-hmm. considered Uh you know, antique or maybe an artifact. So we're starting to get into the plastics in the modern era. Um, so that people tend to fuss over. Um, and then you have, so for state lands in Oregon, it's 75 years. So it's, it, you're like, there's a whole 25 year gap in what would be recorded as archaeological and what would not, what might be protected and what wouldn't be. So that's just an example of something that might be different or that might change if you's, you know, put a national monument in the middle of Oregon. Um, other states have probably a similar. I mean, you're going to have different regulatory systems within the state. Uh, they're not always, but they often tend to be looser than the federal system. I think California it tends to be a little tighter, but it, it really kind of runs the spectrum. Washington State, for example, has much more um, collaborative work that they do with the tribes. They tend to give uh, a lot more power to those communities um, in a way that have come about due to hiccups and mistakes made you know, through cultural resource issues that have happened uh, that wouldn't be too far off from, say, the Dakota Axis. Hiccup, up uh, one might call it. I know and I'm overstating totally that. And <laughs> yes, and then so that's where things like the Bears Ears stuff. Um, not to dive into what we're going to talk about here shortly too much. Um, is that you know once it gets put into federal hands, you have management that's going to change. Plus, due to the uh, just the large uh, amount of money and uh, loading the saving of the the Bears Ears um, monument and the creation of the monument itself in 2016, um, the push for that kind of brought it into the public eye in ways that it hadn't been before. So there's, you know, when a, a national monument is made, it may or may not have been well known beforehand. And so then you get, you know, areas that get more attention than they would have in both positive and negative ways.
0: And as Sarah was saying, too, This isn't the first time that there have been concerns raised about national monuments. There were concerns in 2001 uh, under the George W. Bush administration looking at the establishment of different monuments under Clinton, uh, specifically the Grand Staircase uh, Escalante National Monument, and looking into those, but nothing really came of it. I think that was just considered, though, the first real look into the Antiquities Act and the use of that power to create monuments to uh, protect areas of scientific or historic importance. But beyond that, I I honestly don't think there's been too much in the way of scrutiny. There's
2: been two... I don't know if you want to call them laws or addendums put on the the Antiquities Act. Mm -hmm. One specifically deals with Alaska mm-hmm. and I want to say the other one specifically deals with Montana. I might need to fact check that. But they only affect um, they they only go into effect if a monument is being formed in one of those states. They do not affect any of the other states or the Antiquities Act in any other way. And it basically just restricts the amount of land that can be Uh, declared a national monument at any one time and I think the one in Alaska says that it has to go through review okay before but those are the only like on the books restrictions that are on the antiquities act it's it is fairly sweeping and if you look at the antiquities act out of context from all other political powers that the president of the United States has it can be spun in a way to make it look like it's grand and sweeping and overreaching and it's like eh, a lot of the stuff we let the president do is like this. <laughs> yeah. he <laughs> has a lot of power, that's why he's the president but it's not a lot of power to do crazy shit. Mm-hmm. But there the are way far worse
3: they-
0: things that can be done than designating an area to protect archaeological resources or a coral reef.
2: Yeah, or, or just natural resources in general because mm-hmm. If you destroy it, people, it's gone. So there's that. In the media, in the way it gets spun in the media, especially in the alt-right media, and if people don't know which side of the fence I'm on by now, you're not paying attention.
0: <laughs> um, I have a feeling our listeners know we're all of a, of a particular <laughs> spectrum. Right. I understand. And
2: I understand that people don't listen to archaeology for political reasons. And I yes. get that. I really do. But sorry, this is a political topic. it's It's got to be this way. Um, but when you, you start looking at the media, especially the alt-right media, you start seeing the antiquities act and spun in a way that makes it sound like it's this grand sweep of power and the president's gonna come in and take away your land and force you to death march all the way to california where you have to live with the hippies and it's just like <laughs> you can't Not the hippies. No i know right no. <laughs> first off they can't come and take private land. So if you own your land, they can't come take it with this act. I mean, there's other yeah. ways they can do that, but this isn't it. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, like I said earlier, even if it becomes a federal property, it's, it's not closed off to the public. Usually that's that's determined by, like we said, the governing body um, and the the nature of the site. So these are these are myths that are being put out there. And I mean, we've talked about this people overreacting to this kind of stuff. Uh, One of the very first shows this podcast did um, with the uh, occupation, just the misunderstandings that are about these laws and the way it's portrayed in the media does not help the narrative in any way, shape, or form. And I don't want people to leave this podcast thinking that we are, you know, backing that up because we're not. I, I want people to leave with a better understanding of what the Antiquities Act is and what the powers of the president are underneath the Antiquities Act. And though it is very sweeping, and yes, the president come in and say, I want all of this land to be a national monument, that's about the beginning and the end of it right there. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And it's usually creating a national monument of already either state or federal lands that are then are just grouped together. Exactly.
3: Yeah. And that's, that's a good point, too, is the consolidation factor is something that's usually... One of the motivating reasons why some of these places aren't made as monuments because the management is so patchy, and it ends up becoming, in some ways, endangered or under the focus of the fact that it's not being managed properly, right. um, in some way or another, as to why it's created a monument. I mean, leaving out like the Grand Canyon, a lot of these places, you know, they're recognized as special to one group or another, and they have to have that important historic. Or archaeological, I can't think of the word exemplariness. I guess <laughs> uh, you know they have to they have to be special in in that sense. So, but that's not a difficult thing to to really kind of find, uh, especially when considering native voices. There's a lot of places that are, uh, you know, that fall under that. A lot of it just comes down to you know looking at the management of a lot of these places beforehand. They tend to be patchwork of different management agencies with smaller pieces. Um, I know in a lot of areas of the West, you have every other, it looks like a checkerboard. You know, you have a, some BLM land here, some forestry service here, and then there, it's all in squares. Mm-hmm. It's not a consistent thing. Then you have private land kind of dotted throughout. And, gen, and like Sarah was saying, this does not come in and take individuals' land. This is like, what was it? Part of the, the, uh, Grand Staircase, Escalante Park. Was a consolidation factor, um, and, and when it expanded or got expanded uh, later, that was a trade or a sale, sell, sell uh, state land to federal management mm-hmm. because the state couldn't manage it anymore or needed an income or needed an out. It's not. It was not. It it is its size, not because Clinton had gone in and gone like all of this. I think 1.7 million acres is going to be this grand thing. Was it Was a smaller piece? And then the state's like, well, you know, this is all kind of really one big landscape and Could we're having be a better. hard time getting this and yeah, just throw it all together. And Go that's ahead. what makes it interesting
0: that there is that misconception that it is taking land away and moving on to the executive order itself. Uh, President Trump said that restricting the size of these monuments and reviewing these monuments, etc., and then pretend, uh, possibly changing the Antiquities Act or the ability to uh, establish such large monuments, he said, would end another egregious use of government power. Well, what I hope we're showing is that it's yes, it can place uh, make a large area into a monument. And that can restrict its use, but it's not taking private lands per se. It's, it's literally just consolidating a whole bunch of stuff. And the executive order states that uh, the monuments can, or establishing monuments, can create barriers to achieving energy independence, restrict public access to and use of federal lands, burden state, tribal, and local governments, and otherwise curtail economic growth which I think is a bit of a misnomer. It's a, it's it's not fully demonstrating what monuments can do or what you, how you can use monuments. Would you guys like to get into that?
2: It's my understanding that the executive order as stated is sets up a review committee to go over all of, the pro- all of the national monuments of a certain size, which is actually fairly large. So it's pretty much all of the larger mm-hmm. uh, uh, ones that have been set aside.
0: 100,000 three- acres or
2: expanded. Or more. Yeah. Which hits pretty much everything that was declared a national monument from the Clinton era forward. Because these are, as it is worded, it is evident to anyone paying attention that this is directly targeting national monuments that were set aside by Clinton and Obama Um, Mm -hmm. and that they are quote unquote, reviewing these sites to see if there can be either a reduction in size of these sites or if they can be unmanaged, like released from the national monument status. That is my understanding of the wording of the executive order. The problem is, like most of the executive orders that have been signed recently, it is vague, ineffectual, and does not set up any kind of actual legal uh, ramifications or, like, a guide for how Mm -hmm. to do this exactly. It's just like, he had a thought, he wrote it on a piece of paper and signed his name on it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> very much like a lot of the executive orders that have gone through. And like mm-hmm. most of the executive orders that he's put his name on, it's probably going to be challenged at its first time, you know, as soon as possible
4: mm-hmm.
2: and probably oh, yeah. lacking in a court of law.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: He's not had a lot of success with his EOs. And because of that, I'm, I'm not happy that this thing came about. I'm not surprised that it came about, but I am also, not super freaked out about it because I don't think it's going to go much, if anywhere, but that doesn't mean people shouldn't pay attention and shouldn't keep an eye on it because there's always the chance that this thing could grow legs and they could run with it. The Republicans are ecstatic that this EO got signed because they cannot stand the fact that they can't piss on every square inch of land and claim it for themselves.
4: (laughs) And they see
2: this as a way of it standing in, they see this as standing in their way. So this EO has opened that doorway for them in their little minds. And so they think they're going to run out there now and just start drill, baby drill and mine, baby mine. And it's like, you still got to pass. It still has to go through view.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that gonna review is going to take quite a time because it's about exactly forty-five days from the date of the executive order, which was, I believe, April twenty-six. Right. And then,
3: uh, secretary, is it Zinc or Zinky? I don't know how it's pronounced. I say Zinc. Zinc. In well, my head. Eh. Well, <laughs> the secretary
0: really. has a certain amount of time to create this report after reviewing these monuments that are on the list, and then another one hundred twenty days to provide a final report, and so. Right yes, there's quite a bit of time in between now and the, yeah. when these reports come out for... And that's just the review. Exactly. And then all of this stuff has to
2: go through Congress because the only way to reduce this is through a congressional order. And I don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. Congress historically has upheld any time because the president, since Clinton, the, the Antiquities Act, the appointments under the Antiquities Act have been challenged. The Congress of the time, and Clinton had one of, at the time the most hostile congresses towards a, a sitting president and they still upheld his appointments uh under the antiquities act so i don't see them getting reduced i just don't mm. think they'll be able to pull the numbers to do it but i didn't think we'd have this guy as president so i am <laughs> so not you, probably you never the person.
0: Know. yeah exactly you never know so that's a good place to take a break when we come back we can discuss the executive order some more talk about the monuments that are under review and the reaction the public and so forth have had to this executive order so we'll be right back
1: Hey, podcast fans check out the arc 365 podcast at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash arc 365 that's arch 365 for your daily dose of archaeology each episode is less than 15 minutes long and we have some great guests recording about awesome archaeology we also try to throw in some definitions and basic archaeological information so check out the 365 days of archaeology podcast only in 2017 at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash arc 365 today Find us also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music by typing ARC365 into the search. Now back to the show.
0: Welcome back. On our first segment, we were talking about the Antiquities Act and getting into the, the wording and the intent behind the executive order. So, ladies, let's get into the monuments that are actually under review and the general reaction to this executive order. Yeah, before
3: I jump quite into that, uh, the specific monuments, I did want to brush over real quick that we will be posting the um, the executive order itself um, on the notes, the show notes. And yes, we'll be providing all kinds of information. All <laughs> of the, the juicy goodiness. Oh, yes. Um, and one of the things that I just like reading through the executive order The lights are saying the vagueness, and it's very much like the Antiquities Act is great and it's it does things, and all of these monuments should be you know aligned with the purpose of the Antiquities Act, so that's what we're reassessing. And I'm like, they are that's why they 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 are, (laughs) but secondly, there's this whole thing on whether let's see whether or the secretary determines. Uh, will be determining whether the designations or expansions were made with or without adequate public outreach and coordination with relevant stakeholders to determine each designation's expansion conforms to the policy set forth in Section 1 of the supporter. So this is kind of interesting because that was not required. Right. And you can't apply new regulations that he wants to create now retroactively. That is not the way law works.
0: Well, and also, who are so. these stakeholders that weren't involved? And who's all really that? Oil. Exactly. And so, I mean, generally speaking, the public have largely benefited from national monuments in terms of recreation, educational uh, endeavors, and so on. And then there's the outdoors aspects of it fishing, um, hiking, backpacking, all of that type of thing that a lot of industries have been built around and so it is deeply concerning to say that stakeholders weren't involved well for one thing that's technically not part of the national monuments process but exactly also generally speaking these monuments are being created for the greater good for the public for future use for future um, generations to be able to appreciate these areas. So to say that stakeholders weren't involved or even considered is ludicrous, in my opinion. Well, and
2: yeah. and here's a point that Ken makes because um, we also talk about this on the Arcy Fantasies podcast, which may or may not have aired by this point. Ken points out that a lot of these targets, I think there's like a hundred or so under review, something like that. There's several under review. There's like twenty of them that are specifically targeted because they are national monuments have been set aside for basically non-white, non-straight historical events. Um, Mm -hmm. The African-American slave uh, cemetery up in New England is under consider under review. Um, Stonewall is under review. Um,
3: I've seen a falls I think is under review. Mm -hmm. Um, So sites that are, Important to the history of
2: the American of the American people, but yet don't align with this great white identity mm-hmm. are under attack, and I we shouldn't be surprised at this from this administration at all. But what is surprising is the amount of support that this is getting from people who should know better. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> that's that's disheartening. And you know it's it's interesting seeing people fly their true colors in this situation. But the yeah. other part of that is is there's this whole concept in archaeology that we deal with, and we deal with it in anthropology as well. And this this the default setting is white male, you know. And we we talk about that a lot on this show.
3: The sides seem to that help being, ourselves. Yeah, yeah. What can you say? Uh,
2: <laughs> the sides that are being challenged by this executive order are sites that challenge that identity of the Mm defaults and what people don't seem to understand. And I, and I'm not like attacking anybody in particular. I think people at large do not understand that there's Mm -hmm. more history in America than just the founding, the white founding fathers and, you know, the handful of wars that we fought on American soil. Like Mm -hmm. people don't seem to understand there is a, long Native American history on this continent that continues till today. Native Americans aren't dead. They're still alive. They still exist. They're still thriving people. You know, we've got uh, Asian Americans now. We've got Japanese Americans. I'm going to leave a couple culture groups out because I'm not listing everybody, but you're (laughs) getting my point. You know, the Hispanic culture and the Latino culture is exploding in America. And big freaking surprise, people. They've been here since the founding of the damn country, too. You know, this kind of stuff, sites that are uh, set up for African-American and uh, other peoples that we brought over here as slaves.
3: Yeah, it's a shitty
2: part of our history, but it's a hist- part of our history that we have to remember so that we don't do it again and so that we can own it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, not everything in history, and that's the other thing that people don't understand. Like, they're like, oh, why do you want to remember Stonewall? Or why do you want to remember this, these situations where people were murdered and killed because of their, because they were different? It's like, because... They were
0: murdered and killed there because they were different.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't understand what you don't get about this. History
3: isn't always happy.
0: And yeah. And then, so if you look at the list of monuments under review and there's specifically a list of 27 and two that, the two that really stand out to me because I love these two areas. I think they're amazing. They're beautiful Is uh canyons of the ancients and bears ears. And mm-hmm. I love these two places, these monuments. There are, culturally rich with archaeological resources like you've never seen i mean beautiful ancestral Puebloan towers and cliff dwellings and uh there are pit houses and the rock art oh my god the rock art is spectacular i feel like so many people don't realize like sarah what you're saying that this rich traditional culture in the past has been overshadowed by other historical events where it's like and history in my history classes growing up, I never learned about the ancestral Puebloans. I didn't know that there was such a rich culture out west. And to want to diminish these areas or to open them up to
3: development, I think, Potential is <laughs> yeah. incredibly rude to the
0: the descendants, for one thing. And it's like a slap in the face, being like, "No, we don't. We don't care that these places still exist after you know, thousand years. We we're now gonna um, reduce these monuments after all."
2: And that's well, the thing that's irritating about them is going back to that whole, "Were stakeholders, uh, you know, consulted?" Yeah, actually, stakeholders in the definition of the name were consulted. Bears Ears being one of the most recent ones that everybody's all up in arms about. Ears was petitioned to become a national monument. That's what the media seems to forget in this whole narrative. People were petitioning to have that become a national monument. And the, the tribes that are associated with that area were petitioning for that to become a protected space. Because it's, you know, everybody keeps screaming about, religious freedom and all that. And it's like, yeah, there's other religions besides the one in churches, people. There's mm-hmm. other religious spaces besides buildings.
3: There's sacred landscapes. Ha- and-
2: yeah, Bears Ears happens to be one of these spaces and it is a sacred space to Native Americans. And I'm sorry if you're tired of hearing people say, well, this space is sacred to Native Americans, but how would you feel if I just started walking around knocking over churches because they're in my way? I'm pretty sure you'd be irritated by that. It's
3: sign <laughs> kind of the same thing. So, so. I want to touch on one, um, uh, one of these monuments that is a little different. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but before I get into that, just to go off what you guys were just saying with the, the Bears Ears and other, uh, native, um, rooted monuments is that these, I mean, a lot of these areas have been and were inhabited until the US Army moved them from there. Mm-hmm, yeah. So to say that it is ancient history, I mean some of it is, obviously, and that's where there's this it's forgetting that there's a continuity. And mm-hmm. the break or the rupture in that was something that was intentionally done and we're trying to correct that or at least, you know, placate and heal some of those wounds. And and not just for the Native American communities. That's a major thing, but also for... I mean, there's a reason why people have a hard time looking at the ugly history out there. There's this what's referred to as white guilt. You know, you have this... These kids or these people that have really no clue, no attachment, and they learn about these horrible things that were done by their own ancestors and or somehow um, just culturally affiliated or even direct ancestors. You know, their great-grandparents fought, you know, out West during the Civil War Any, anything like that is, mm-hmm. you know, there is but we don't in our culture have any way to uh, reconcile that. You know, it's just kind of like you should feel bad because this happened and that's it. And people, I mean Americans have this big need to reach forward and you know there's this always this march forward in progress and um moving out of the past sort of thing and forgetting about your your history is not uncommon um in the american trajectory i mean the whole idea of the melting pot i mean people still try and connect to that because you know you may have say, like in my own ancestry, I have a lot of very diverse family members um I also have a lot of very diverse ancestry, but just due to the nature of the melting pot, a lot of that's gone, so I am as probably your American um from the outside as anyone <laughs> um but it's it's hard to for some people to feel figure out what they're supposed to feel about all of this, because they're not taught in, in history class, they're not taught in schools, what exactly we're supposed to do with these emotions when we find out that genuine atrocities happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we acknowledge that and move forward and heal these wounds with people and communities who are still here? So right. And so the monuments
0: and, seem to be a way to at least a step in the right direction,
3: to at least get yes. these stories told. And And also give some of, in some ways, I mean, a lot of these are under, uh, what's the wording, Um, the care, basically, of the U.S. government um, for the Native communities. It's not giving it back, unfortunately, but a lot of tribes in different areas have a very high uh, rate of interaction and management in the parks or in the public land themselves. So with so many of these national monuments, a lot of the focus has been on uh, how ranchers can't use the land, we can't mine it, we can't do this, can't do that, uh, due to restrictions, some of it having to do with a whole other topic of trying to pull back the authority or the, res- the uh, regulations uh, um, that have to do with the EPA and, and other quote-unquote red tape that Trump is trying to slash. A lot of these things are seen from some of the public as very leftist, very environmental protectionist, um, and anti-economic, um, and so forth. Um, however, people do forget and uh, don't see that some of these places are more modern um, sites as well. So Sarah mentioned Stonewall earlier, which is a very important site. Um, and then another one that's less well-known in Washington State is Hanford. So it's called the Hanford Reach National Monument. And while there is a lot of wildlife and habitat rolled into it, um, there's a uh, Saddle Mountain National Wildlife Refuge was kind of rolled into it because it's it's all kind of the same landscape in that same area, you have the Hanford uh, reactor site. So this is the was one of the, if not the largest uh, nuclear facility in the U.S. during World War II, and actually was a host of a, uh, quote unquote, secret town where people had ba- basically volunteered to disappear um, for several years to create these bombs, which in the end um, were those that ended World War II uh, in Japan. So, it's a very fascinating site. Most people don't know about the fact that these national monuments protect these sites as well. It's debatable as to whether or not you can visit them since it's still, you know, nuclear. Radioactive. (laughs) Radioactive. You can't really go, you know, visit it, but it is protected and that is one of the things that people kind of forget is that these bigger pieces of recent history, um, are actually now old enough to be protected under uh, both the Antiquities Act and a lot of the other um, National Historic like Pre- Preservation Act and um, the Archaeological Resources Protection Act and all of those. So, uh, just as something, if you know you're interested not in what the rest of these monuments might be talking about, this may be something a little bit different that. Say, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not super alt-right or anything. But if you have a brother or something that that might be, uh, you know, hard to turn when it comes to national monuments and seeing their importance, this might be something that you can pass on to to family members or someone that you might think might get a kick out of it because it's it's very much in that modern history um, bit, which is really fun
0: one interesting thing to think about with the executive order too is looking at the the reaction and it's it's largely mixed from from what it looks like i mean we have uh different sides um from grazing rights logging industries gas and oil but also there are those um who just don't like the idea of federal land management, but then you've got the other side of the coin where we have outdoor industries, um, the tribes, uh, national parks, conservation associations, and even um, state legislators who seem to be very against the whole uh, idea of the executive order, the reviewing of the monuments, even if nothing comes from it, there's still concern there. So I guess the the what we can look into is then, well, who would benefit from the reduction of these uh, monuments, and who would lose? Who would benefit from the destruction? Mm-hmm. Or not the destruction, well, for, or from the um, diminishing and opening of the monuments well, to mining companies. other industries. <laughs>
2: I mean, it depends on your definition of, of uh, benefit. I mean, if you're just looking you know. at a, and even then, I think it's short-sighted to say that uh, natural resource companies would benefit from it because i mean we're talking about a finite amount of natural resources that are locked up in these larger
4: mm-hmm.
2: land monuments um and it's the amount that is locked up under these is not enough in my opinion that it would really make that big of a difference it's like a drop in the bucket compared to what mm-hmm the the mining companies and the drilling companies do yearly i feel like they i feel like the reason why these companies are so against it is because they don't like being told no you know we're, we're talking about fossil fuels that have been around for so long that they're they're just powerhouses and they they're like spoiled children they just don't like being told no and so i think this is really just a temper tantrum but it's one that they're apparently winning with this administration. Um, (laughs) But, like, in the long term, though, I feel like it's really not going to make them any more money than they've already got. So I can't even really believe that there is a benefit to them other than ego. And if all we're doing is (laughs) assuaging egos, then what's the point? Um, As far as people who are going to be hurt by this, I mean, aside from... American history for the large part I mean you're looking at individual groups of people who are represented by these national monuments they're going to lose their history they're going to lose access to their to their ancestral lands because you can't tell me that an oil company is going to be okay with native tribes coming in and practicing their religious rituals while they're trying to drill I just don't see that happening you know Mm -hmm. it's the same kind of situation once you've removed federal protection from some of these areas i mean it's not it's not like it prevents 100 percent looting and destruction but it gives it some teeth if it happens and so that tends to prevent it on a larger scale if we remove Mm -hmm. that we're losing historical sites not just land sites we're losing actual
0: history Mm um yeah and i mean if we wanted to even look at it from a economic standpoint, the towns and um, industries that are around these monuments would greatly lose out on quite a bit of money in terms of tourism um, that they've built by going into the monuments and taking people to these unique areas if if we needed to put a, I don't know, a
3: a dollar
2: amount on these things. Yeah, I mean, you're losing out on Mm -hmm tourist revenue in some small towns that's what they live on Like so they thrive on i mean look at the yeah. towns that are around the uh, grand canyon even though it's not i don't think it's threatened by this list but i mean if you were to def- excuse me defund the grand canyon and just you know i don't know, fill it in with cement a lot of those towns <laughs> would dry up i mean they exist yeah. for tourism
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, there are I, so many jobs surrounding that stuff.
2: Yeah. Are we willing to put all of those people out of business just so some oil company can get easy access to it, no askers? I don't know. I mean the long term ramifications of these are hard to see because we're a very short sighted society. We we don't appreciate history. We don't like to think farther than our noses. We're very I have a very low opinion of the American people, I'm sorry. But because <laughs> of that, I think we're very short sighted when it comes to preserving our own history and trying to keep our own land
3: safe. Well, and even just thinking like, so say we, we take it, uh, say for example, the more controversial one we get, we get bear's ears pulled from National Monument status, okay. So let's say it reverts back to state and other federal management. Um, the amount of management that was able to handle it before if it was even sufficient to begin with, which it probably was not. Otherwise, there would not have been a petition to protect it. Um, The amount of attention that it's gotten and knowing the propensity for people who don't like something, defeat it, they will go out to make a point to hurt it. So say you have all this attention, you're going to increase if you drop the protections and you brought it into the limelight and then pull those protections, you're going to have an increase in moving, you're going to have an increase in vandalism, Mm -hmm. um, and it's not going to be able to be protected in ways that it had been potentially protected even to the level that it was before. Um, So you're going to have to up the ante on... Like say BLM agents, if it was BLM management or uh, Forestry Service, um, any or and even like state management, it's really one of those things that you have to kind of step back and be like, okay, let's take it. Say that you know these people are successful in getting this hold. What are the direct ramifications? And I don't think anyone's really thought that through. I mean you should really take a look at the whole Brexit thing, because they were like, oh, shit. <laughs> <That> <laughs> How's this happened? even going to work? <laughs> <laughs> we don't, oh, it's not actually going to turn out the way we thought it
0: would. OK. Well, and, so. That, and so that's a, a good good spot to to take a break. And on our next segment, we can talk about, well, will this even work? What are I mean, is does this executive order even really have a future, no matter what the report finds? Will it actually be able to decrease the size of these monuments, change the monuments, etc.? So we'll get into that when we get back.
3: CRM Archaeology Podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM arc podcast. Let's get back to the show.
0: Welcome back, on this final segment we're going to talk about the Executive Order and whether or not it will actually be able to do what it sets out to do. There are a number of laws, and of course there are a number of opinions on whether or not you can actually reduce a National Monument or get rid of it altogether. So we'll get into that. With this executive order, there are there is a law that the Congress enacted back in 1976 called the Federal Land Policy and Management Act, and essentially what it boils down to is that if you have a monument that the president wants to change, the Congress has the authority to modify and revoke withdrawals for national monuments created under the Antiquities Act. So it really does take a congressional act for any monument to be changed. Ladies, do you think that's actually something that would happen after all the review is finished?
3: Well, I mean... I would uh, think probably not.
2: <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's going to be really difficult. Like, like I mentioned earlier in the show, I mean... It, Congress has historically upheld the president's appointments of uh, national monuments, so I don't see them retroactively going through and hacking and slashing. I mean, even this Congress, I should say actually, especially this Congress, because this Congress is warming up to be even less active than the Congress we had in the Obama administration. So you know other than i just don't see them doing it i honestly just don't see them getting off their butts (laughs) and doing it like and that's what i'm hoping for i'm like it'll be safe because of apathy i think um that's my that's my hope anyway
0: but it's a huge there are a bunch of of congressmen uh, that are against the executive order too which is already a good start. Well and that's the thing like I believe they have to have 60 votes in
2: order to change them like I think that's the mm-hmm. threshold which right now neither party has 60 but because of that neither party has 60 so <laughs> since you have to have 60 nothing's going to happen because you. I don't see them convincing enough and I mean let's face it it's going to be the Republicans pushing it if it were to happen I don't see yeah. the Republicans pulling enough Democrats to their side to get their numbers above 60.
3: Well, not even, like you were saying, not even all of the Republicans are all all gung-ho about this anyway. True. Yeah, I mean, not even all the Republicans support. Yeah. So what you were saying about apathy is definitely (laughs) a lack of (laughs) of, of movement in any sort of direction. The things that they were wanting to accomplish have yet to even be seen um, in the whole, you know, fabled first hundred days. But, I mean, the only thing that I would be concerned about on that same note is because this might be easy or considered somewhat easy, easier anyway than the tax and the bill and the health bill, that they may just pass it just for the sake of having something to say they've done. Um, hmm. would be my only concern. I don't
2: think this is the bridge <laughs> they're going to want to die on. I, I don't see it because it's not popular. This is not, as yeah. most of his EOs go, this is one of his least popular EOs. It challenges too many industries that actually provide jobs. I mean you're looking at forestry, you're looking at the BLM, you're looking at archaeology. I mean you're looking at a lot of <laughs> scientific fields that most people are not aware are out there but who employ thousands if not millions. I don't know. What are the numbers
3: in archaeologists in the Americas? But, we don't know. Exactly. And so that's
0: the thing. Like We're everywhere. It's <laughs> the
2: reduction of this challenge is too much because if you're reducing that you're reducing jobs you know Mm. people don't like losing their jobs whatever the job is they don't like losing their jobs because it's their job so i don't see it happening i see it being stagnant at the beginning just because it's too damaging to a political career to be the guy who was like yeah not only did i knock out half of bears ears because oil I eliminated hundreds of jobs because eh, I wanted a bridge to die on. You know, yeah. I wanted a thing to say that I did that well you did that, and now you're not elected again.
0: You
3: know, mm-hmm. that's true, and that's, that's my true. rant on
2: that. I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's true, and and beyond that as well. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine they would get the votes, but even if they did, it's highly likely the situation would go to the court system. Right. I, I, much like pretty much all of the EOs so far, it would go to the courts.
2: Yeah, and die there.
0: And he's Hopefully. not had a very good record in the
2: courts, so. Oh. Also, I don't so, think yeah. he has a political leg to stand on if he tries to force it through the courts.
3: No, there's he doesn't have a political leg to stand on at all, anymore, it seems, Yeah. Um, at this point. And that's another thing, too, is because there's so much sour feelings with everything that's been going on and recently and to put in context because this may not go <laughs> out until later this summer we're recording during sort of the, the height of the um, release of confidential confidential or um, you know, uh, classified information to Russian authorities so, as far as, I'm sure there's going to be more shit show later, that'll be a little different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, This is kind of when things feel like they're starting to fall for him and his support in his base is starting to, I mean, there's still some there, but people especially in Congress that have supported him are starting to turn um, in question whether this is really a good idea to continue to support and back his really bizarre decisions um, that don't seem to have a lot of forethought let's say or logic or, or logic <laughs> or any of that and so i mean the only one positive i can see coming out from all of this is higher visibility and visitation to a lot of these national monuments which some people may not have known about so that could be an uptick in um visitation for these sites later too um uh, just as it you know, once this blows over and things are are great again, um, <laughs> but definitely um, the jobs bit that you were mentioning earlier says that so many of the jobs that are associated with these are with in the recreation and and tourism sphere, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the jobs that people are wanting, um, i.e., the oil, the mining, it's not as many jobs. It's, they're all temporary and it's not it's not sustainable. So combining those things, if you're looking at trying to boost and help the economy, this is not the way to go about it is destroying these in order to plunder, you know, whatever natural resources are there um, for any of these sites. And some of them, particularly the the Hawaii and I want to say the the offshore Mass- Massachusetts monuments, are enabled partly for the protection of those resources um, because they have been so severely damaged. So, keeping that in mind, it's like this stuff wouldn't without them there. Those resources are gone, mm-hmm. and then like you were saying earlier, so there's there's and there's nothing to really go after anymore, you've lost. It. You know, these are all finite, right? Um, and and definitely the the renewable job choice. If, if you're looking at it, you know, like Emily was saying from the economic angle, it's much better, uh, much more sustainable on an economic and environmental and energy level to switch focus because. Just hitting on the the Trump administration generally for trying to push for going back to the 1950s at the height of the industrial big tool and resource jobs. Those aren't coming back. Like stuff mm-hmm. has changed. Just like from you know you don't want to go back from 1950 to 1800 when manufacturing was at its peak and you were working you know 90 hours a week without a lunch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> World changes, things progress and Yeah, the nineteen fifties weren't all that great. No, and, and unless you're white <laughs> Why do you white. I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I sure don't. So it's a lot of his perspective and, and just remembering and the romanticization of the past is just so unfortunate and you know, maybe we should try and romanticize things in a different way. I don't know. It to is fix that. Nostalgia is stupid. <laughs> but it's very powerful, unfortunately. It is. It is. Yeah.
2: And especially when you and it's have funny. Well, it's especially like that when you have an industry built around the narrative. Like and mm-hmm. that's yeah. where I blame the media because I love going after the media. Um <laughs> Well, I do, because there's so much a part of this. Like I love <laughs> I love watching the news media try to pretend try to both pretend But they had no idea what was going on. And look over here. Isn't this amazing? And at the same time, they're the ones spewing the crap out of their mouths. It's like they're literally talking out of both sides of their mouths at the same time. It's stunning. If you met a person in real life who was doing that, you would immediately walk away from them. Yet all of us are glued to the news and to the media. And rightfully so. It's the only source of information we have. We should demand better. Um but as long as we keep allowing them to control the narrative, like with this whole Bear's Ears thing, if you didn't know how Bear's Ears came to be a national monument already, you would think and this is the mainstream media too, it's not just the friend media that does this, you would have thought that Obama just flew in there one day and was like, This, all of this is now a national monument. You must all leave. <laughs> it's mine. And then went home. Ah, ha, ha, ha.
0: And that's that's I mean yeah. that's the narrative they push. But it's not what happened at all. You yeah, know? It is People have been working for years, yeah. pushing for this to become a monument. Exactly. There's so much there was groundwork a that. celebration that was created. I mean, this was one of the most. I mean,
2: it was yeah, exactly. It was just like Emily was saying. But the media and allows... there's a lot
0: of groundwork put into all a lot of the monuments, yeah. So it's ridiculous for people to think and the like you say the monument the monument, the media portraying it as like boom monuments. Like there's usually a reason behind a lot of this.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well. For example, the NPR article that talks about this is annoying because I love NPR, but this <laughs> is like, with national monuments under review, Bears Ears is a fierce debate and the first thing they talk about is the grand staircase and the way that Clinton went about implementing or declaring the grand staircase, not talking about how Bears Ears was created. Right. So it goes into... Clinton went in and just swooped down, didn't even visit Utah, made it a thing without people knowing, and then, you know, people can't help but draw a parallel to how President Barack Obama's sweeping Bears Ears monument ended up in their backyard. So it gives it that narrative, and neither like you're saying, is like true. Yeah, no. it was such a
0: huge push by the the public. They're like, yeah. "Do this already, Obama!" And he's like, eh, "I don't well, know." The I like, no, do it. You know it's the same thing with the grand yeah. staircase, though. That didn't just happen. Clinton
2: didn't just walk into the the state. Was like, "Yep, this this is mine, mine now. I'm taking it <laughs> home. Wrap it up." It didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing that happened with Bear, Bear's ears. He was petitioned. He, he went out. And he saw it. He had a, a, a. There has to be a plan drawn up for care of the thing. I mean these things take time. They don't just happen overnight.
3: And again, no one lost access to either of these properties. Mm -hmm. No. And that's, the thing that annoys me the most about this story is that it goes into, after that, the, you know, the small communities objecting to it. And then at the very end of the article, about halfway through the page, because, you know, the bottom third is always just advertisements, um, it talks about the desires and the need for um, protecting Bears Ears through the Native communities. I mean, of course, they introduce it with, there are deep pockets behind the campaign to protect Bears Ears, click the link here. Then it says the San Juan County is about 50% Native American. It's kind of like, and you relegated that to the bottom of the article that no one reads. <laughs> like, this is the reason why this exists. You should be talking, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, you have to have both viewpoints in. but if this is rarely in any of the articles, A. And secondly, if this is something that is like the reason why it was petitioned and it has gotten backing because they don't have the means of doing it themselves, And they have moral support from many different parts of the country in many different industries. I would think that would be important because that shows there is a majority and there is a power behind it. It's not just, you know, a handful of people that don't, you know, they want to keep their power over the rest of the community because a 50% is no small beans number. That is really
0: exactly. high. Yeah. For so with all these frustrations that we have, what can we do? And what can we urge our listeners to do to support the monuments, to get the word out there? What can we do?
2: I think do exactly can. what Kirsten just did and find articles that are either under-informing or purposely misleading and tear them
3: apart because I'm tired <laughs> of it. And Kirsten just an exercise. exercise there. <laughs> exercise your yeah. critical eye. Yeah, is really a big part of it. Um, take a look at some of the things that you've read before, and maybe kind of pick it apart and, and analyze. Like, is where is this information coming from? How is it presented? From what angle? Who? You know, like we talked about earlier, who benefits from the way this is voiced? Is this the way that this should be? Um, and you know make your public comment known you can go to um, the what I think it's the Mm regulations.gov and notice of opportunity for public comment you still have time um, to make that uh, public comment on any and all of the Monument's This so there are many um, that are officially under review and um, you know, and this will one.
0: directly go to the government. This is the the government page where technically they have to read the comments. Right.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. So you can take a closer look. We've also links, of course, to the uh, executive order itself um, and to probably a couple of notable articles that have the um, lists of the monuments under review. Um, You can take a look at the Utah, I sorely apologize for probably not pronouncing this correctly, but the Utah Dina Dekaya site that has, which is the Bears Ears, where they talk about why this is important. They actually do name all of their funders, so that is something that, you know, is really nice and isn't always available for things that are objected. Uh, like the backers for Dakota Access, by Delight, <laughs> for example. None of them, were, not all of them, were forthright in New Um And so you can get an idea of who is who is interested and who has been um, and kind of judge for yourself how you feel about these things uh, outside of the media themselves, but taking a look at the first-hand sources. Okay. That's
0: awesome. That's really good advice. And yeah. Looking not only just a comment on the uh, regulations.gov page and on the Bears Ears, one thing to, to keep in mind is that a lot of these commenting periods are gonna be closing this summer. Um, the Bears Ears National Monument page, uh, comments for that particular one ends in early June, I believe, and then the rest of the monuments, the comments end sometime in July. And so if you wish to comment, do it now. Yeah. <laughs> get your voice heard. And if you love these monuments, be vocal. Don't be afraid to get on social media and get out there. you know Twitter can be a surprisingly unique form of information uh, to spread information as I've learned from uh, President Trump's tweets. <laughs> <Who knew>? <laughs> <laughs> so tweet away, Facebook, blogs be vocal that way attend
3: meetings visit the monuments this summer too take a look at oh, that yeah. list and be like you know what is this all about what why is this important if you haven't heard of it and you're looking for a vacation for the weekend find one that's near you take a really fabulous cross-country trip if you live on the east coast <laughs> um there's also the, one in massachusetts or even one that's not on the list any of your local monuments and, kind of take a look and and see what it's all about and why these are important and why these this whole thing like we talked in the beginning why it was created in the first place i mean 1906 we are at what 111 Mm -hmm. years now Mm -hmm. so i mean
0: also if you need suggestions we're a nerdy group of people we know where the cool <laughs> archaeological true. sites historic sites are seriously email us at women at and we will happily give you suggestions of monuments to visit and then when you get to the monuments where to go be like hey if you go down this one dirt road find the interpretive panel about this one cool thing it's awesome yes well, we're about at our, our last two minutes. Ladies, do you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share? Um, I just
2: want mm. people
3: to, mm.
0: like, Kristen, like Kirsten
2: said earlier, read with a critical eye, look up the... When you hear something about uh, something like the Antiquities Act, look, look up at the Antiquities Act. Read the Act. It's not that long. You can do it. I promise. And when you hear things like... <laughs> I mean, I hate that that was NPR that did that article, but again, I'm not, like, horrifically surprised either. But when you read things where it just sounds like totalitarianism regimes are coming in and stripping the land away from the people, read farther into the article. Always read the last few paragraphs, because that's usually where they bury the actual facts anyway. You know, do your research. Don't take everything that the media feeds you at face value.
3: But also don't toss it out with the trash, either. there's usually something they're writing about in there, it may be buried. Some, usually, I'm not saying all, but <laughs> usually, some of the larger news outlets, especially, you know, uh, when you get to networks and, and things that have been around for 50 to 100 years, those institutions are typically a little bit more founded in actual facts. Um, anything that is within the last 10 to 20 years, I would question a whole lot more. Um, and that's just a bias in ability to obtain those facts the long-standing networks of news um, resources um, it takes a really long time to lay those out and if someone's claiming absolute truth and they just became a thing about five years ago and the person doesn't have you know a say journalism degree <laughs> or they're not and, citing their sources or they're not citing their sources is a big part of it it's you know, take it with a grain of salt. A Very large handful of it, and <laughs> a, uh, cup of <laughs> a, cup a cup of salt. A cup of salt. salt. Mm, salt. <laughs> so, yeah, take a look at. And if you've, you know, if you've heard of the news outlet before, and you know, some really great places. If you're not sure, factcheck.org. Org. What are some other um, fact checkers you guys know of that are well? I mean, I've seen stuff on
0: Politico, but I usually mostly use NPR, so that's yeah, I know. It's disconcerting. It's like, uh-oh, NPR, come on. Uh, you know, yeah. shout out to Kay Chris Hurst
2: over at About.com, though. She runs oh, the archaeology yeah. section at About.com, and it's pretty solid. And if she knows what she's talking about. She's from the field. She... I don't know how she how much she gets into controversial stuff like she's never going to need to discuss like her political views on a topic on about.com that's not what it's there for but if you're looking for like history and facts and stuff about the field and the things that affect the field you can definitely go over there and and look for her stuff there. Yeah, that's Very a cool. good
0: source. Well ladies, thank you so much for those suggestions. I I'm hoping, I keep my fingers crossed that this whole situation with the monuments will just kind of go away. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, we need to keep informed. We need to read with we need to read with a critical eye and just check our sources. And ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank yeah, you for doing it. Always. Make sure you make your comments, everyone. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, please comment um, on iTunes as well as the website. We will have the show links um, for all the information that we talked about today, along with the episode. And please follow us on Twitter. And we'd love to hear from you. Until next time. (laughs) Bye.
2: We hope you have enjoyed the show. Please be sure to subscribe and rate our show wherever you listen. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and probably whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Remember to like and share. If you have questions or comments, you can post them in the comments section for the show at the Women in Archaeology page on the Archaeology Podcasting Network site. Or email them to us at Podcast at gmail.com. This show is part of the Archaeology Podcasting Network and is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. You can reach them at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Music for this show was Retro Future by Kevin McCloud, available at Incomptep and royalty-free music. Thanks for listening.
1: This show was produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster.
0: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com Contact us at chris at